6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck begins his teaching on the book of Psalms, chapters 107 through 118. Well, we're in the fifth book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is actually five books. If you count it that way, you don't have 66 books in the Bible, you have 70, but that confuses people, so we haven't pressed that point. But the book of Psalms is actually five books, and we're entering the fifth or last book of the book of Psalms, which include the Psalms from 107 to the end, 150. And despite the slide on the screen, we don't plan to do that tonight. That's <laughs> um, uh, The fifth book begins with a great uh, retrospect on the plains of Moab, which reviews God's gracious dealings with his people. And they're soon to enter the land of promise. And so in the opening psalm of this Deuteronomy section, as some people call it, uh, the remnant of Israel is also prophetically seen uh, regathered and ready to another land. So you can see, I haven't tried to emphasize the historical roots of these psalms because they're conjectural. Many scholars try to attribute various psalms under certain circumstances under which they're written. And that's not... That's not unconstructive. I haven't spent a lot of time on that because uh, I'm more interested in just what it's saying to us today and what it implies prophetically. So we're going to just obviously jump in and start with Psalm 107. And if we do well, we'll get to Psalm 118. I'll leave 119 for next time for reasons that will become obvious when you look at it. But uh, the, uh, this opening psalm of the so-called Deuteronomy section or the fifth section of the book of Psalms is... Um, the Israel seen prophetically regathered and about ready to enter the land. And uh, you may recall Psalm 105 emphasized Israel's exodus from Egypt. And Psalm 106, the following one, emphasized God's long-suffering care for his people. Psalm 107 focuses somewhat on the redemption of the nation, especially from the captivity of Babylon in the minds of many of the scholars. So let's just jump in. Psalm 107, oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good. For his mercy endureth forever. Indeed, that, that echoes all through the Psalms, as we'll see. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. By the way, that's all of us. Hmm? And gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. So, you know, this thing, say that, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. is an interesting term. You know, it, it's so easy to go around and complain and criticize, especially within the body of Christ. We moan about this and moan about that and so forth. If we're good Christians, we should be telling people how good God is, not what's wrong with Fellowship X or whatever, you know. He is good. And the tragedy is God does not have a very good reputation in the world today among, you know, the ungodly. It's a bad rap, and we have failed to really give him a good reputation in effect. And uh, so, but uh, we'll move on here. Uh, verse four, they wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Boy, doesn't that characterize the nation Israel over the last several thousand years? 
It was all predicted in Deuteronomy 28, especially in verses 64, 65, and so on. The wandering Jew is an idiom in our language. So this, is, this, is, this broad brush would include that. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city of habitation. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Here again, this is sort of the echo of this psalm all the way through. We should be dealing with the reputation of God throughout the world. For he satisfied the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness, such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron, because they rebelled against the words of God and contemned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. And then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. That's a, a profile of history in general. It certainly is an outline of the book of Judges, where that you know, six times that form is repeated. They rebel, they get into trouble, they appeal, God delivers them, it all repeats again. And that's the history of man. And he brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and break their bands in sunder. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he hath broken the gates of brass and cut the bars of iron in sunder. And that, yet that may echo Isaiah, his letter to Cyrus, which outlines his career in advance by which he took Babylon. And recognizing that career and the fact that God's calling by name, he let the, the Jews free when he captive, captivated Babylon. But moving on, verse 17. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Their soul abhorreth all manner of meat, and they draw near unto the gates of death. And then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saveth them out of their distresses. He said his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And let them sacrifice the sacrifice of thanksgiving and declare. And declare his works with rejoicing. And this echoes Hebrews 13, verse 10 to 15. And as a Naval Academy guy, we always remember this. They that go down to the sea in ships, <laughs> that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. And bear in mind, this was written for most of the history of the world, going to sea was a hazardous occupation. Very much so. For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, and he lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to heaven, and they go down again into the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man, and are at their wit's end. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad, because they be quiet. So he bringeth them unto their desired Haven. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. This is the repetitive echo or chorus, if you will, in this hymn or this psalm. Let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turneth rivers into a wilderness and the water springs into dry ground. A fruitful land into barrenness 
for the wickedness of them that dwell therein. He turneth the wilderness into a standing water and a dry ground into water springs. And there he maketh the hungry to dwell, that they may prepare a city for habitation, and sow the fields and plant the vineyards, which may yield the fruits of increase. He blessed them also, so that they are multiplied greatly, and suffereth not their cattle to decrease. Again, they are minished and brought low through oppression, affliction, and sorrow. He poureth contempt upon princes, and causeth them to wander in the wilderness, where there is no way. See, there is room for politicians in the Scripture, right? <laughs> Yet setteth he the poor on high from affliction, and maketh him families like a flock. The righteous shall see it and rejoice, and all iniquity shall stop her mouth. Whoso is wise who will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. So that's Psalm 107, a psalm that calls us to exalt God, to dwell on the times that he saves and refreshes and provides. Indeed, he does. And you can try to match this profile to various segments of history, and they fit many. Whether it's the book of Judges, or whether it's the book of Numbers, or whether it's the, the wanderings into that diaspora, uh, from an Israel's point of view, or whether it's yet looking forward. Well, let's look at Psalm 108. The first half, by the way, of this is the same as Psalm 57, that is the five verses there, verses 7 to 11 and 57. And the last half of the psalm is very much like Psalm 60. In fact, uh, verses 5 to 12 in Psalm 60. So it's, it, it, the psalmist here has taken two psalms, parts of two psalms, put them together to make a new song. Well, that's, this is a hymnal. Let's remember that. A song or a psalm of David. O God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise even with my glory. Awake, psaltery and harp. I myself will awake early. I will praise thee. It's interesting. We're talking mornings here, aren't we? When do you feed the sheep? When do you feed sheep? In the morning. I won't ask for a show of hands. Okay. Awake, psaltery and harp. I myself will awake early. I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing praise unto thee among the nations. Plural. For thy mercy is great above the heavens, and thy truth reaches unto the clouds, or skies, if you will. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens, and thy glory above all the earth, that thy beloved may be delivered. Save with thy right hand and answer me. Save with my right hand. What is, who is it, God's right hand? Jesus Christ. Who's our Savior? Jesus Christ. You see it tied together? Little subtleties, but there they are. God hath spoken in his holiness. I will rejoice. I will divide Shechem, I will meet out the valley of Sukkoth, Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine, Ephraim also is the strength of my head, Judah is my lawgiver, Moab is my washpot, over Edom I will cast out my shoe, and over Philistia will I triumph. That occurs several times in the scriptures. These are the, the words, if you will, of the delivered remnant of Israel. They see themselves here receiving their inheritance and dividing the land among the tribes. So this is millennial. This hasn't happened yet, but it's a glimpse of what's coming in the future. Who will bring me into the strong city? Who will lead me into Edom? Lead them into Edom? What's the capital of Edom? Anyone? Petra? Where do they flee after the forces of Armageddon come against Jerusalem? Where do they flee? Petra. Where does Jesus Christ first return according to Isaiah 63? Indeed. Basra. Petra is the current title. Wilt not thou, O God, who has cast us off, and wilt not thou, O God, go forth with our hosts? Give us help from a trouble, for vain is the help of man. 
Through God we shall do valiantly, for he it is that shall tread down our enemies. Indeed, praise God. Okay, that's that psalm. Now we come to a messianic psalm. It, it pro profiles, among other things, the humiliation of Christ. But it's also the last of a category of called imprecatory psalms. Ones that call down um, vengeance. And uh, in fact, Psalm 109 not, not only is the last of them, it's the most heated of them. C.S. Lewis himself suggested that it be likened to the heat of a furnace door. When you open a furnace and you feel the heat from the furnace, you can almost, you jump into Psalm, you can begin to feel the heat of the imprecatory aspects of it. It's also been called the Judas Iscariot Psalm because Simon Peter quoted from this Psalm in reference to Judas in Acts chapter 1 verse 20 that let another take his bishopric and so forth. So because of that quote of this psalm that way, it's technically a messianic psalm, but it's best known for its imprecatory manner, if you will. And uh, so it's to the chief musician, the psalm of David, interesting enough, but it jumps right in. Get this one for an opening in the psalm. Hold not thy peace, O God, of my praise. Whew. Already you feel a hot breath. For the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful are opened against me. They have spoken against me with a lying tongue. Wow. Now, indeed, this can be a context where it was written by David, but rather than speculate when that might be, more, it certainly is messianic. We know that from several verses. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when Jesus Christ manifests himself as the ruler of the universe and confronts those people that lied against him, that were deceitful against him. Boy, those that libel him this day, both in words and in print, boy, heavy stuff coming down. They compassed me about also with the words of hatred and fought against me without a cause. For my love they are my adversaries, but I give myself unto prayer, and they have rewarded me evil for good, and hatred for my love. Set thou a wicked man over him, and let Satan stand at his right hand. Whew. This applies to Judas in some denotative ways. It applies to many others in a connotative way. When he shall be judged, let him be condemned, and let his prayer become sin. Ooh. Let his days be few, and let another take his office. That's what Peter quotes in Acts one twenty. Let him another bishopric or office take. That's when they cast lots for the one to replace Judas in Acts 1. Let his children be fatherless, and his wife a widow. This verse implies something you may not have known. That Judas was married and had kids. I would make a big deal of it. But let his children be fatherless. Indeed they were. And his wife a widow. Let his children be continually vagabonds and, and beg. Let them seek their bread also out of their desolate places. Let the extortioner catch all that he hath. And let the strangers spoil his labor. Let there be none to extend mercy unto him, neither let there be any to favor his fatherless children. Let his posterity be cut off 
And in the generation following, let their name be blotted out. Anyone here boast a uh, genealogy going back to Judas Iscariot? <laughs> okay. I have a few candidates, but I'll leave that out of here. Okay. Let the iniquity of his fathers be remembered with the Lord, and let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. <laughs> let them be before the Lord continually, that he may cut off the memory of them from the earth. Because that he remembered not to show mercy, but persecuted the poor and needy man, that he might even slay the broken in heart. As he loved cursing, so let it come unto him. As he delighted not in blessing, so let it be far from him. This is a rough psalm. This is a rough psalm. As he clothed himself with cursing like as with his garment, so let it come into his bowels like water and like oil into his bones. Makes you uncomfortable just to read it. Let it be not unto him as the garment which covereth him, and for the girdle wherewith he is girded continually. Let this be the reward of mine adversaries from the Lord, and of them that speak evil against my soul. Whew. But do thou for me, O God, o the Lord, for thy name's sake, because thy mercy is good, deliver thou me. For I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. I am gone like a shadow when it declineth. I am tossed up and down as the locust. My knees are weak through fasting, and my flesh faileth of fatness. I became also a reproach unto them when they looked upon me. They shake their heads. Help me, O Lord my God. Save me according to thy mercy, that they may know that this is thy hand, that thou, Lord, hast done it. Let them curse, but bless thou. When they arise, let them be ashamed, but let thy servant rejoice. Boy, boy, boy. Let mine adversaries be clothed with shame, and let them cover themselves with their own confusion as with a mantle. I will greatly praise the Lord with my mouth, yea, I will praise him among the multitude. For he shall stand at the right hand of the poor to save him from those that condemn his soul. We're going to see in the next psalm the classic case of the adversaries being confused. I'm getting ahead of the story here, though, a little bit. Let's go on. We now are in Psalm 110. This is also a Messianic psalm, and it's probably one of the best-known psalms in the entire um, collection. It speaks with, of the exaltation of Christ. It begins with his ascension, and it's remarkable because this psalm will set forth the deity of Christ in a ways that confused his adversaries. There's no way you can take this psalm seriously and not recognize his deity. It's referred to many times in the New Testament. Verse 1 is quoted 25 times in the New Testament, specifically in Acts 2 and Many times in the, books of he in the book of Hebrews. That's just verse 1. Verse 4 is quoted four times in the New Testament itself. We'll see the key pace of that. In the book of Hebrews, there are over 10 quotes or allusions to this um, psalm alone. Psalm 110. Many, many pastors would quickly point to this one as their favorite psalm for lots of different reasons. So we're in Psalm 110. We've just moved onto hallowed ground. I won't ask you all to take your shoes off. But mentally, we can do that. It starts right off with a zinger. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. 
Boy, that psalm, that one verse, we could spend all evening on easily, easily. In fact, I was reviewing with a close friend of mine on the trip. I was going to get back to take a group of psalms, and when he realized it consumed 100, he said, 110, that's going to take you. There's a whole session just to Psalm 110. I said, yeah, but we can't budget. If we do that, we'll have three years of, you know, there's 150 of these psalms. I spent 150 sessions. That's a little abusive. Um, but this would be Tim. Let's consider the attacks of Christ's enemies in, in anticipation of a con- confrontation that's coming. One collection that attacked them were the Herodians. That's a political party. That was the Jews that were behind Herod, who was non-Jewish, the appointee of Rome. They tried to trap him by making a political statement that would mark him as a traitor to Rome. You know, was the coin is it Caesar's or not and all that business. And that, and that little ruse failed. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar. Whose face is on that? See, well, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And everybody hears that, they miss the point. Caesar's face was on the coin. Caesar's image was at issue there. Rendered Caesar things to Caesar. Whose image are you made in? God's. Well, then render to God's the things that are God's, see? You miss the, the parallelism that's implied there. But anyway, the next group, when they failed, then the Sadducees step up. The Sadducees are the liberals of the day. That's why they're sad, you see. That corny, corny pun, but it helps you remember which are which, you see. A liberal religious party, obviously, they tried to trap them with a ridiculous question about, regarding the Mosaic law, the seven wives and all that business, seven uh, husbands of a wife and all that. And that failed. So then we get to the Pharisees. These are the lawyers. These are the legalists. These are the strict ones, presumably. They were religious and political party, both in effect. Then they tried to trap him. And when they tried to trap him, that also failed. So we've got these three groups in Matthew 22 that have take each t- taken their shot at him. And while they're falling back to regroup, to go at it again, he asks them a question. So he asks them a question. As they huddle again to, you know, they took a time out to plan their next strategy. And Jesus asked them a very simple question. When the Pharisees gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ? That's the term, the Messiah. Christ is a title. Who do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? And they said unto him, the son of David. And indeed, that would be easy to prove because there's a dozen different verses from the Old Testament they all knew that made him such. I'll give you a few in a minute. They said he's the son of David. So he first establishes the common ground. Then he asks them, okay, how then doth David in spirit call him Lord. And then he quotes to them the first verse of Psalm 110, which is obviously familiar to their ears. Your English translation, Matthew 22, it says probably the equivalent of, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. In the English translation, we lose a little bit because when it says Lord in all caps, that's the English translation of yod the unpronounceable name of God, Yahweh, if you wish. Yahweh said to my Adonai, my Lord, sit thou at my right hand till I make the enemies the footstool. If David then call him Lord, how can he be David's son? They couldn't answer. Because there's only one answer that can possibly be. Because if David is calling him Lord, 
He is senior to David. But the only way he can be David's son is by the incarnation of God himself. That's, what, that's the only thing that unravels this riddle, and they couldn't deal with that. that see, son of David, 2 Samuel 7, Psalm 78, we've talked about it already, and Micah 5 too. But Bethlehem of Bethlehem, though he be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth, and he is to be ruler in Israel. But in Proverbs 30, you may recall from a Proverbs study, the same issue comes up in Proverbs. A series of questions are introduced. Who hath ascended up in heaven or descended? Who hath gathered the wind in his fist? Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? The answer in each one of these, of course, is God, right? What is his name? And what is his son's name, if thou canst tell? There it hits you right between the eyes. There again, God and the Son of God. That's Old Testament. That's Proverbs, right? What is his name? And what is his son's name, if thou canst tell? And I love the way Matthew 22 then completes. No man was able to answer my word, neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. They had three groups take their shot at it and failed. He asked one question and they gave up and walked away. Dumbfounded, confused, couldn't respond. I love that. Let's take another look at this. When you're arguing with lawyers, you better have your homework done, Right? The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. In the Hebrew, it says, yod heh vav Jehovah, in other words, in the minds of some, said. And the next word is Adonai. But in the word Adonai isn't just the word Adonai. It has a little yod at the end of it which makes it possessive. That's why it doesn't say Lord, it says my Lord. The entire enigma that Christ laid on them hung on a little mark that you and I would consider a blemish in the paper. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Psalms. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. Or you can call us on 1-800-KHOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word. Mm -hmm.